Welcome to the Continental. We hope you enjoy your stay. Welcome to the Continental. I'm your host, Adam Mack, and on today's episode, we're talking sci-fi. We're going to go a little bit further on the love of Star Trek and the Star Trek Next Generation series, but with a little added twist. We're throwing in uh, some of the oldies but goldies that made the Star Trek universe, and I'm going to call it the Gene Roddenberry universe of Star Trek. I know Star Trek Based upon, is based on Gene Roddenberry's vision across multiple series now. We got the New Age stuff with Discovery and Lower Decks and so many more. We have the precursor original, but we're going to stick to Star Trek Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Star Trek Voyager because Gene Roddenberry had his presence in those episodes. He was still around, and you can see it in the creation of those episodes and the impact they had in our life. But what would this podcast be if we didn't have somebody else's feedback to understand what those series meant to us? And today we got an extremely uh, special guest, one of the best that I know of when it comes to not only just Star Trek, but just expressing how important things in life are to him. Please join me in welcoming our special guest for this evening, James. James, thanks Thank for you, being. Adam. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having me. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm glad you could be a first-time guest here on the Continental, and I hope this is just the beginning of many to come. And uh, thank you for making your time here for us today. No problem. I'm very excited. Looking forward to the discussion here. Well, we've, had, uh, we've talked about it in the past, and uh, you know, when, I, when you heard I was doing this podcast and you, know, you heard about Star Trek, you are like, whoa, really? And I was like, whoa, you really like Star Trek? <laughs> and I don't, I don't know about you, but how often do you run across somebody who's still to our age, you know, is so deeply embedded into Star Trek, like outside of obviously going to conventions, but like in your day-to-day -day life, like how often do you run to somebody who loves Star none, Trek? None, none, because it, it, it's funny, right? Like um, Star Trek, believe it or not, it was, it ne I don't think it ever took off in China. So I, I was raised in China all the way to August 11 before I moved to Canada. And for all my life, before the uh, the move, I had no idea Star Trek was the thing. Now Star Wars, on the other hand, you know, it, it was a thing. Like the, the the reach of Hollywood and the big screens reached, you know, eventually reached China. But I didn't get into Star Trek for myself until after I moved to Canada. Um, and and I it's 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 very rare. I haven't I don't have any friends because I have a lot of friends who are bilingual and. I, none of them are, are very well-versed in Star Trek. Um, a lot of them are very well-versed in Star Wars, but not so much Star Trek. Um, so no, not a lot of Star Trek, hardcore Star Trek fans out there. My wife watches Star Trek. Oh, um, it just explains why you're one. together. <laughs> and not the other one. Um, and the only <laughs> thing I know is when I start making cultural references and she'll be like, oh, I know that one. I just don't know which movie I came from. I was like, it's, it's the other one with the red shirts and the blue shirts, not the, the red blades and the blue blades, you know, it's, it's the different ones. <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, I, I feel the same way. I don't think I've uh, run across, even all my, even my closest friends, they're not uh, hardcore Star Trek people. Star Wars, as you said, you know, it's the action of Hollywood that reached mm -hmm. so many, right? It, it was a cultural phenomenon 
But also, be honest, it's Star Wars is a little bit before our time, to be honest, as well, right? Like, the Star Wars started in, you know, the 70s, and, you know, at least Star Trek, the next generation, started in, you know, 19, you know, 87, and, you know, ended with Voyager in 2001, which is, like, the prime of our, you know, prime That's of our right. lives. And um, right. I, I think the other thing that I was thinking about it that really makes a difference between Star Trek and Star Wars. And this will probably be another pod that eh, maybe, maybe if you're not bored or anything like that, you can be another guest, which is, you know, Star Trek is a little bit more about people interaction and, you know, what is the and problem solving day to day life. Whereas Star Wars in the end of the day is this e like event, right? Like you're trying to, the rebels are trying to overthrow the empire. That's it. There is no in-between. Yes, I'm trying to find a way to be a Jedi, but the whole purpose of being a Jedi is to beat the Empire. No, outside of the books, there is no explanation of what happens after and how do you go about life you know, in this world where it's either the Empire or the Rebels. It's just Yeah, I think there's a fine line between uh, what you see as just a sci-fi entertainment or some sort of a, a sci-fi inspiration i think most, most the reason that most most kids love star wars is you don't have to worry about why things happen you yeah. know that the uh, you can drive a, a weapon the size of a planet and blow up other planets nobody ever questioned the physics behind that yeah. it just happens and then comes a couple episodes later you have a planet you know 20 times the size nobody ever questioned that right um and i i think that's the draw for those kind of movies is the same with the warhammer universe right nobody ever questions what happens in the warhammer universe and why you know, you're a warhammer fan yourself or uh no i only know the game itself so i'm not it, it is just ridiculous yeah. you're you're you know you're having a a thousand year war fighting for the god emperor who has psychic powers that needs a thousand virgin sacrifices every day and then you think about it for a second but like that is <laughs> bogus but then you like the you like the you know the really far-fetched um unbelievable fantastical uh narrative of these films and i think star trek appeals to a different type of audience i, I to me i feel like like my love for sci-fi it was um more or less inspired more so than star trek than than it was with star wars which i just star wars to me was like fairy tale yeah, sci-fi elements. Whereas Star Trek was more on the on the realism side. You think about it, and I go, okay, so this could happen. This theoretically is 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 grounded in some fundamental science, and that and that kept things very interesting for me. Well, it's it's the art of the possible, and honestly, the fact that you know you said that makes me so happy because that's exactly how I've come to see it now as an adult. It grounded me in seeing it as a kid every day. It was something that was feasible, something as small as focusing in on talking to the computer. Oh, that was kind of cool. Or mm. the automatic sliding doors. You're like, oh, that's kind of neat. And the phaser rifles just like, okay, that's where it got into like more movie action stuff where you're like, it wasn't like a death, a planet destroying weapon that you're like, all right, yeah. whatever. Right? It's a lightsaber, you know? Yeah. You know, a lightsaber, like, if you think about it for two seconds, like, what the hell is a lightsaber? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. I was just actually perusing YouTube, and if you ever have a chance to look, there's this uh, group called the Hackensmith 
the company or something yeah, like that. Yeah. They 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 focus on making like whatever is in the movies possible, like stuff yeah. like Iron Man's repulsor cannon. Oh, uh, yeah. But I just came across one where they made an actual lightsaber using uh, a plasma, like it's plasma fire. It, plasma I don't think it. Type of yeah, deal. but it could. Yeah. It's like, but like you know, the size of a lightsaber. And you know, dr uh, and they had to compress. There's no way they could make a portable power source, so they basically make compressed gas and attach it to your hip. It's pretty cool, except baby that steps. it's baby steps. I, I watched the same 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 channel uh, with the Iron Man one. That's how I yeah <laughs> caught my attention is the, the tri plasma cutter. I was like, holy shit, that could work, right? If, yeah. if they miniaturize it, that could totally work. But lightsaber, though, that's like a whole different level. James, you're making me think that. You as my guest, we're just going to agree about everything on this on this all podcast right, instead start, of a disagreeing. I'm going to start singing a different tune here. <laughs> we're, but it's, it's <laughs> we're all running, we all watch the same stuff. Uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No. No. It's uh no. But I agree with you, right? Like I said it on my first uh, Star Trek pod episode, and uh, it was something that was real. I come to realize that's what drag uh, like pulled me into that show. You know, every week it was something different. They didn't carry a single huge epic story. You know, it was the day-to-day, -day, you know, problem solving and day-to-day -day cool technology that they would come to bear to solve those problems. I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. I think that's possible. Uh, yeah, okay. Everybody was more or less happy, you know, which, you know, is probably not totally realistic, but it's, that's not the point. The point is to prove out what's possible, right? And I mentioned this and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but part of the other reason that made Star Trek, not just Next Generation, but Deep Space Nine and Voyager cool to me was that all those ships had every representation possible from a crew perspective. That was really cool. You look at it from a age, sex, race, alien species, machine or whatever, everybody was represented, everybody chipped in and it was like, ah, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, I think, I think what's it called? Ensign Kim on... Voyager, that was the, well, okay, I know Sulu was first, but Anson Kim was the first, like, Asian person in, like, that was actually part of Starfleet that you saw on an everyday basis. I was like, oh, that's cool. They should have promoted him, but still, that was really cool. Uh, what, was Anson Kim gay? Uh, was that what am I mixing up with the new movies? No, 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 no. That's the that's um that's Sulu. That's Sulu. In the new movies. In the new movies. Yeah. So they kind of uh, uh made his character. Yeah, yeah. They kind of aligned his character with the the actor, you know, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, yeah. They that that was Sulu in the uh, um the movies in the new movies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So like, I thought that was like. I thought that was awesome. You know, now that, now that I think about it, I'm like, damn, that was a pretty copacetic kind of, uh, you know, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody kind of world. And uh, it made it seem like it was possible, right? So, you know, the whole universe was pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought the, the whole, the, that, the, that years between 1987 to 2001 for those series, I thought they were amazing. So, uh, but. Well, what was your first uh, Star Trek? What was your entrance to Star uh, Trek world? It was Star Trek Next Generation. It was, uh, you know, I, I think, um, I don't know exactly what episode because I know I started 
after the show started because in 1987 I was five years old. So no, there's no way my parents would be letting me watch even the the benignest of Star Trek episodes. Right. Mm. I think I got into it in about 92. So by that point though, it was in syndications. I watched it every single day, like at like 6 PM to 7 PM at dinner time. My parents would just let me just binge watch Star Trek every single day. And, uh, <laughs> It would also it also made me realize though I think this is where we're gonna realize that I'm quite a bit older than you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you? I didn't I didn't watch I didn't watch Star I heard of Star Trek Next Generation because that was the iconic one, um, but I started with I, I in fact um, the only series that I've invested the majority of my time in this Voyager watched it end to end. And I think I got lucky when I first started watching it. It was just like halfway through season one. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know at the time. Like I, I barely spoke the language at the time. I just came to Canada and there is Star Trek. And I watched it because, well, it's sci-fi and it's got big spaceships and phasers and aliens. And, you know, there's nothing better to, to watch on. It's either that or, shoot, uh, what, what else is going on uh, at the time? Uh, Fairy Godparents. That's oh, <laughs> Spongebob SquarePants, Fairy yeah. Godparents. Uh, what else? Uh, in terms of sci-fi back then, uh, this was the Twilight Zone, but... Uh, yeah, and, well, Deep Space Nine a little bit, and that's about it. Um, yeah, so there was Voyager, and I started early, and, and I started early, and one thing I love about the show is that everybody announces in that show, um, which, which is a blessing for me because I didn't speak the language. It's like, well, I don't know what the hell everybody's talking about. Now the other shows, they talk too freaking fast. So I watch, um, if you pay attention to Voyager, I don't know if it's just the Voyager or the whole series, but they announce it, like they say everything clearly. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, with Chakotay, it's a little, you know, sometimes a little bit more difficult because he talks really freaking fast. Yeah. Uh, but it was nice, and I used that to, to actually uh, uh, learn how to speak English. Like I hey. was, you know, I pick up the hobby, and love the show, and learn the language. I think it's not bad. Hey, another benefit of Star Trek, never talked about, right? You know, help you learn oh, English. Absolutely, like it, it was great, and I start to learn words, and and to my surprise, you know, the sci-fi mumbo jumbo is actually not that heavy. Oh, no. Like you learn about the everyday conversation uh, stuff and then it was very helpful. Yeah, you know what, to your point about the enunciation part, I think that's uh, something that sci-fi shows in general uh, bring out. I've heard some actors describe that because there are terminologies in there that Mm. it's not the science, right? Like to your point, they don't talk about quantum mechanics. They don't talk about, you know, uh, speed of light particles. And sometimes they, you know, they talk about warp fields collapsing, but really they don't have a science they stick to. It's not like the big bang theory where they actually fact check everything that they're talking about, but the usage of terms like, you know, uh, you know, warp fields, nacelles, you know, phaser rifles, photon, quantum torpedoes, you know, gamma rays, whatever. I've heard actors, some of those actors on Star Trek specifically say they've actually had to slow down to specifically enunciate. Otherwise, it sounds like nothing when it comes out of, if they go that's too right. fast, like you said, that's right? right? You have and, to emphasize on the word and the people are like, oh, wow, that's a cool sounding weapon. 
Yeah, or even the aliens, if you think about it, right? Like, uh, uh, well, the Borg is pretty straightforward. Uh, what were some of the aliens? There's the Cardassians, um, there's the Klingons. Cardassians, Klingons. Uh, I mean, for, uh, I was thinking from Voyager. Um, remember the ones that they, when they first got to the uh, the uh, Delta Quadrant, the... Uh, oh, caretakers? I can't remember. The caretakers, it, it was the... Uh, oh, man, I forgot their names. I'm so bad. I, like, I can, I, I can picture it in my head. Um, but it's okay. Um, yeah, I don't. For some reason, for Voyager, the only the only species that really stick out are oh well, there's Talaxian for Neelix, right? So that one right. that one's pretty sh straightforward. There is the Borg. There's species eight four seven two. That's because they killed kicked the Borg's ass. Everybody. Yes. <laughs> so uh, that that one, I those are the ones that stick out. But yeah, no, it's um, it's it's definitely. Uh, yeah, I don't think about it. They're pretty good. It's uh, the, the the scripting was always really good and the execution was always good. Mm -hmm. But actually, so let me let me just start things off then. I know you've already mentioned Voyager. Is Voyager? Do you think that would be say your quint your 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 favorite Star Trek series out of Star Trek: Next Generation, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, and Star Trek: Voyager as you sit back and review it as an adult? Well, I'm extremely biased because I haven't really watch the other shows. Ah, so I'm gonna okay, have to okay. say Voyager would definitely take the cake. I mean, I watch like YouTube clips here and there mm -hmm. um, of the other shows. My, just based on those interactions, and I, I just feel like Voyager is, it, it feels more natural. It feels mm -hmm. like maybe it's the acting because it's a newer show of, of, this, of all three. Like the acting just becomes uh, more and more natural, more everyday. Uh, there's more, um, it's more relatable uh, mm. versus the other ones where the acting has to be very specific. You have an archetype of a character that you just have to fit in. Mm. Whereas Voyager, you, you, you pick out any character in Voyager, um, they all have a very complex history. Like there's no right or is that's a good guy and that's a bad guy. Yeah. You know, they all have their internal conflicts and they all have episodes specifically yeah devoted to their internal conflict. I think one of my favorite episodes of Voyager of all times was the one about the doctor. Um, there was an episode where he was um, pretending to be the, the captain of the ship. I know like he, had to, he had to go and he had to save everybody and he has to be the captain of the ship and he eventually got taken the bench by some alien and then it kind of become this internal struggle because the doctor was always seen as someone who is um, who's a follower, who follows order, who has no self-directive because he's a hologram. He's a program. He is, he's so a program. He's a program. built yeah. based on algorithm that was pre, he's, he's predestined to do things, Only but not beyond things. it, right? Yep. It's, it's yep. not beyond his destiny. And, 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 and then the, you throw him into the whole mist of moral decisions he had to, you know, make all kinds of calls and, and have to think independently. And I just thought that was a brilliant show that you already add a lot of depth to an otherwise one-dimensional uh, character. And then ever since then, you know, he became a very active member of the crew. He started to chime in and give advice. And I was like, that's, that's fantastic. And there is an episode like that for every single one of these, uh, these crew members. And I thought, I can love it. You know, I'm not sure that's the same thing with the other shows, but that was definitely what stood out for me is that uh, 
maybe it was more of a coming of the age thing because I started watching it right <laughs> when I was sitting my teenager years. Yeah. Um, and I started to think, no, that's, you know, because at the same time, like, what was it 2001, 2002, now around that time, um, what's happening on the, the other side of the trench is the Star Wars prequels were going on. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was the time. That took everybody's by storm, and they're like, oh. By storm, exactly. Yeah. But one thing I hate about the prequels is that everybody is so dimensional. You know right yeah. away who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. There's no gray. Whereas, um, whereas for, for Voyager, sure, you know, everybody on the ship, you know, they have a standard to uphold, but everybody's got their own inner demons. And, and people who appear to be happy on the outside may not be happy and people who are serious may not be always the uh, the serious face so i love that and then especially putting that age from age 11 to to, to <laughs> age to 18 that period of time where you start to read to discover your own identity like who am i right and 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 there's a lot of uh, a lot of good materials out of I will agree with you looking back on it because I was, you know, I watched Voyager as well and their character development was exceptional. You know, I look back on it to your point, every character there from Captain Janeway all the way down to Ensign Kim and even down to like Kess, even though I think part of the reason why they basically, she kind of got written off the show is because she became a little bit super one dimensional uh, for her role for the ship. Heck, even yeah. Neelix. They, they, you know, they didn't, it's weird that they basically got, left the show, but it didn't make sense for him to go back to the Alpha Quadrant, zero, no, right? No, you know, no. he would be the only alien from the Delta Quadrant there, right? So uh, I, I, I get it, right? And, but to your point, every character, more than just one episode, I would say, there was a significant character development across the board from beginning to end. And I will agree with you there that they really laid out especially from the beginning when they started off with the Maki crew joining the Voyager crew, mm-hmm. them having such a conflict with Chakotay Tora, and Torres. And then also with uh, Paris being the, you know, the rebel, you know, the rebel Starfleet officer that they had to pick up from a penal colony, uh, you know, mm-hmm. him finding not only just uh, a character who grows into his role as a, uh, you know, an ensign, you know, uh, be, start following orders again as a Starfleet mm-hmm. officer and then also getting a family that's like holy moly right um, so the, the Voyager I think it out of the three episodes uh, sorry out of the three series you're right you, the, the Voyager did the best at character development I think Star Trek Next Generation they do a little bit of it and this will be this will come up later in, uh, in, in uh, later on in the podcast but I think some of the characters in Star Trek Next Generation, they, the characters were varied. They had a lot of episodes that were dedicated to each person. So it also had developmental episodes. Mm-hmm. But to your point, they didn't have an extreme swing, right? Like you didn't have a crazy redemption arc, right? Mm-hmm. I think no. the, of all the characters on Next Generation that had the biggest arc was Commander Data, the android, because... Mm-hmm. His whole growth was, I'm just an android in Starfleet. That's all I am to becoming, I'm a member of this Star Trek family and this crew where people would sacrifice for him and vice versa, right? It was more than, and he became, the, the goal was to become more human. Or, you know, there was the, 
the Klingon security officer Worf, who was basically just this Klingon who everybody thought of as, okay, you got the warrior race Klingon on your ship. That's great. What does it actually mean? And he had a whole ton of story regarding his fight between being fighting his Klingon heritage versus his human upbringing. So that was kind of cool. Deep Space Nine was I think the middle ground between Voyager and Next Generation. It had a it start it started off with character development development because Captain Cisco, if you ever go back and watch it, uh, Be, uh, Captain um, Ben Cisco, you know he was he lost his wife in the Borg attack at Wolf three five nine. He had to raise his son by himself. He ends up on this like far outpost in the middle of nowhere, and suddenly is considered a prophet, and he has to be like what the heck? Like how are you supposed to, it goes against everything he is as a, you know, Starfleet officer to be influencing this other culture. But at the same time, he's trying to battle his own demons to, you know, of trying to overcome the fact that he lost his wife. And it's like, how are you supposed to forgive this uh, life that cost him, you know, the love of his life. Right. So it was, so they, they, Deep Space Nine did a, a lot more character development than Next Generation, but yeah, to your point, I think Voyager, did a great job of that character development and, uh, you know, bringing it about uh, across the whole seven seasons. Now it was out of all those characters, was there a favorite character that you liked the most? Like who was, who was out of the Voyager crew? Did you love watching? Um, I, I mean, for Voyager is, is, is a toss up between the doctor or the seven or nine. Like I is, and there, there's a bit of an underlying theme, I think, for for these shows. Just you know, after hearing what you said about the next generation, it's it's about inclusivity. It's about bringing culturally or seemingly uh, outsiders into a a pop big pot offense. And and I was just thinking while you were talking because these are some of the fantastic moral underlying morals that they dropped in the new movies because if you're thinking about the last two star trek movies both of the movies are about the outsiders getting revenge for being outsiders right khan is an outsider that's been cast out and so was the uh i can't remember it was the the first one that was the interest yeah nero oh yeah from the first one yeah yeah, yeah. from the first one that was uh also an outsider idris alba that was his character was also abandoned as an outsider and and it was it was you know it was very different from the tv show which almost always promotes inclusivity and the biggest character developments are the outsiders coming in and becoming integral part of the team and that's what i like about the doctor and the seven of nine both coming from such uh you know, if you think Paris is bad, right? I mean, seven of nine. She Jesus was a Christ. Bork. He was a Bork. She was captured. <laughs> she tried to kill the ship, you know. Like, that is so far out in the other end of the spectrum. That redemption arc was is tremendous, right? It took how many seasons for that to get back? And, yeah. and, 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 and I love those. Like, I, I love how uh, people like that, against all odds, trying to find a voice, in a in a group um it, it's great i mean i mean when, when you were younger like when i watched it, i had no idea what's going on in the world right like you, you don't know what uh, you know you don't talk about race you don't talk about you know privileges and and all of that um mm-hmm. you don't think about it even though i was a little asian boy in canada which 
Wyoming is a fantastic country. Inclusivity is fantastic, but you don't think about those type of issues and you watch these TV shows and you think that that is the norm. Yeah. Even though after you grow up, you realize ah, it, it may not be as idealistic, but because you watch those TV shows growing up in your mind, they give you a sense of that's right. And this is not right. Yeah. And that's very really good for, 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 I guess, you know, for me, because now I, you know, teenager years, right? You're watching those shows and you're creating your own moral compass and you start to think, okay, yeah, I like that more. You know, I like the outcome of that. Um, yeah, Seven of Nine was fantastic. Uh, I, I especially enjoyed the episodes where her and the doctor sort of had this symbiotic relationship <laughs> uh, where they both being the only... Um, They're similar in, this, in a similar, similar boat. Yeah. yeah, in very similar boat in a sense that they both can be disabled. Yeah. Um, they're they're non-biological life forms and and that them you know kind of try to figure this this new life out and just from their own point of view um is it's fascinating right is every time every time you know when the doctor mentioned that he doesn't need to eat because he's a hologram <laughs> i you know i just crack up as like how many times do you have to 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 say that right but then it, it, it is part of his life, you know, he is different and he needs to embrace his yeah. difference and uh, to, to, to join. Who's, uh, who, who's your favorite character? Well, it, what's funny, you, you say, you mentioned those two who, you know, I look at it as they, uh, the doctor and 7M9 are somebody who are trying to discover their humanity essentially and how they fit into this world of living beings where they're not, their origins or what they've known is they've been told they're not living beings. And guess what? The, my, my favorite character is actually in a similar boat, which is Lieutenant Commander Data on Star Trek Next Generation. You know, he is uh, an android, uh, you know, in origin, but even to the point throughout the whole series, even his existence or his um, ability to, you know, basically, I, I would say, take hold of the fact that I am a life form is always in question. Heck, there was an episode, which is one of my most favorite episodes, where he's put on trial to see if Starfleet could actually take him away and take him apart. And uh, the, cap uh, the captain had to basically argue that he was a life form that deserved the rights and, uh, and privileges of a life form to make a decision for himself. And it's similar, but his arc is similar to seven and nine and the doctor, right? You have to, he had to be comfortable with who he was first before he could discover his humanity. Yes, he's an android. Yes, you know, he's not like everybody else, but yes, he wants to understand um, emotion. He wants to be able to understand why people respond a certain way uh, to certain, you know, certain comments or certain actions, right? And he wants to be a part of the team to contribute. Um, even though he might be like for the doctors in the doctor's instance, like you were saying, he was nervous about breaking beyond his borders to take control, like, and, and pretend to be the captain when he was fighting off those aliens, right? Uh, you know, he was, he, he was very hesitant to do that and he needed to break out of his own shell. You know, Data is like that too. He was always just looked at as, heck, someone who's faster, stronger, but he can just process, but he's just an android, right? Nobody could think that he could actually take command or come up with ideas until he was actually thrust into that position to do so. And I don't know, I, 
I, I just, that kind of character that hey, I think, Hey, it goes, it goes back to what you're saying about self-discovery, right? Seeing that and saying, Hey, that's, that's something I can totally relate to. I want to grow to that. Um, so that, that, you know, that, that was my favorite character. Uh, it's, it, you know, it speaks to something about, you know, teenagers watching these shows. It's, it's a very positive, it creates a very positive imprint. I think I should uh, make sure I have these all downloaded for my kid. Same for that's you. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> just to add, because you mentioned about them trying to find their humanity. Sometimes I don't, I don't know if it's just humanity that they're, they're trying to find. They're trying to find a several things. Um, but is it to be more human? Maybe. It's, but you, you think about the shows, like the other races in the shows, like the common grounds that they share is not necessarily to, to be more human. Right. It, mm. One thing that is a recurring theme with these sort of artificial type of characters yeah. um, is, is the search for mortality or is the question facing mortality. Mm. And that's another reason I love, you know, the doctor and, and Samuel and I. That one episode when the doctor was has to be forced to be transferred from the ship's uh, hologram, uh, holo projector into the mobile yeah, the mobile emitter. Uh, projector. Yeah. yeah, that one uh, it it really exposed him to to the idea of permanent non-existence, right? Which to biological beings like us would just be death. Yeah. Um. And and that really made you question. You know, if you didn't have that constraint, what would you do? Would you even think about it? Mm. And the reality is, we don't think about it. We don't think about it enough. We live as if we were to live forever until we're faced with the hard truth that we are not. And then you start to start to prioritize your life a little better. I hope, right? Um, and then, and that's one thing I, I I love. I mean, it is a concept that is obviously when you try to show it to someone who's 13 year old that is a little too early for them to, to show but it is also a fantastic concept to introduce to people of that age because when you're 13 year old nobody's going to come to you and talk about that everybody yeah. is about is about you know after you die you know you'll be in a happy place forever and ever and happily ever after right at least and I, I feel like society as a whole needs to embrace mortality. I, I think one of the fundamental benefits of, of humanity, um, and, and that is also, a, you know, thankfully a tone that is uh, consistent across most of the sci-fi films, which is the mortality piece, um, is that because what you have is not unlimited and in terms of time mm. and that makes what you have left that much more valuable and you have to realize the value and you have to embrace the value because value stems from choices and the choices that you make means there's going to be choices that you can't make uh, there are going to be sacrifices and that work inherently makes the choices that you made more valuable more important yeah yeah and now you're like thinking back like as an adult you know, you, you don't know that these things were actually in the show, but now you're thinking back and you'd be like, wow, that is, <laughs> that's a next level existential, existential stuff. That's right. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of lessons to be learned, uh, in the shows and you just don't realize, um, I mean, the other thing is, you know, altruism and that was another show i think 
Voyager, uh, specifically Paris and, and Chicote. I think Paris is more of an extreme version where he started off more of a selfish type of character and that mm -hmm. was very apparent. Uh, at the beginning and, and coming out of jail so yeah <laughs> coming out of jail um and his redemption arc is obviously from being selfish all the way to being uh selfless or being altruistic um commander chicote is a lot more nuanced and i love when the character is a lot more nuanced because commander chicote is inherently altruistic but because he was part of the martis uh, and then he had he felt like he had a responsibility to his crewmates or to his previous teammates and to have his interests or their interests at heart and now because he was also first officer he had to make difficult decisions based on the common goods of the crew or the common goods of well his his own team and and that nuance created a lot of interesting problems and that nuance actually you know now that i'm a little older is well, essentially, is what what turns my hair gray, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. All of a sudden, you're faced with the with the complete benefit of your clients versus your team's resources, or sometimes you have multiple clients and you only have that much time or that much energy. And which one do you drop? Um, yeah, that's uh, what do you think about it, right? <laughs> well, you're reading, I'm reading too much into these shows. No, you know what, and, and that's something that I, you know, I'm curious to understand your take on. And I think you already started off with a good thing. There is, there was two ways that we look at these shows. You know, one is how did you perceive it as a kid, but now you know, 20 years later, because Voyager ended in 2001 it's mm -hmm. now been 20 and almost 30 it's been 32 years or 33 years since star trek next generation started and 20 years since star trek voyager ended so you look back on it now is how do you see it as an adult versus how you saw it as a kid and as a kid quickly you know it's definitely it was just super cool right i think we talked we touched again, upon you're it. in it for the spaceships that's it. yeah the, the, size, the, right? the spaceships the technology and honestly like for me the problem solving was kind of cool just every day it's like oh something new something cool right um and but now i think as you said as an adult you look back on it and i don't even have to go back and watch these shows like i've seen so many of them so many times i just look think about it a little bit more even when talk preparing for these pods you realize a lot of these episodes had so much more nuance associated to it uh, for all, all three series, like Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager all had such, uh, you know, lessons embedded in their characters as well as the episodes they had to problem solve for. Now, if you ever get a chance to look at Deep Space Nine, it kind of bridged the gap between what you experienced with Voyager and what Star Trek Next Generation did, right? It, um, the characters were, I think, ha had much more depth, like to your point, Star Trek Next Generation was a little bit more flat in terms of their growth, like they did grow, but they were pretty consistent and strong characters throughout. Deep Space Nine, every character had an inherent flaw as well. And they had to grow based upon being forced into the situation of, hey, I'm on this space station in the middle of nowhere. And suddenly it goes from a middle of nowhere station to the center of the alpha quadrant because this wormhole shows up that can let me into you know another part of the quadrant that spits out all sorts of like craziness. Mm -hmm. And um, it created such, uh, it created 
character development through um, the busyness of of their universe. Uh, you know, I, I like I like I especially like. Obviously, I mentioned Captain Cisco is a great character. To, his character arc to follow. They had similar to actually Data, the Doctor, and Seven and Nine. They had a character called Odo, who is a shapeshifter, and uh, he was exceptional character because he went from thinking he was the only sh uh, being of his of his species to ever exist to then finding out his species was basically a dominating tyrant in another quadrant to then realizing that he himself could because of his experience change the whole character of his oh actually sorry i skipped one step going back to your thought about mortality being turned into a mortal being to understand and realize the value of the of your existence and not just shrinking back from the responsibility that you have to make a difference in this world and then him basically being the factor that changes their pseudo war on these space nine so he had a pretty crazy arc himself um, but to your point as an adult i look back on it now and i'm like I realized how much those episodes imprinted who I am as a character and how I treat the rest of things in life. Not only just for one, seeing all these races and you know beings all working together, to your point, that set my mind as that should be the right way and successful way to move forward across the board. It's not just about one versus, it's not like the Borg where you know, we are the Borg, we're gonna assimilate you, we're just gonna be the Borg. Right. It was, we can all work together to make this thing happen. And uh, I think that was uh, pretty impactful to me now that I look back on it. Um, and, and, and obviously the, the, the technology and the art of the possible and what we can achieve um, through all that togetherness, but also the individual lessons of just trying to figure out who you are and it's okay to like fail and it's okay to, you know, be knocked back. And I think, you know, Deep Space Nine Voyager were better at showing me that, that it's okay to lose, actually. Like, in Deep Space Nine, they basically got themselves booted off their space station, but you, you know, they were able to uh, move forward and find a way and figure it out. And, um, but anyway, w what about you? What do you, uh, how did, when you look back on it now as an adult, you know, what is the, what are the things that you see in yourself that you got from those shows? Or is there anything that, uh, that really, uh, you're like, whoa, I think this thing was really an impact in my life. One thing, well, first of all, uh, I think the, um, the Star Trek was the reason that got me interested in technology in the first place. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just so fascinating um, what, uh, what things could do. But the other thing is just that failure is, 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 is commonplace. Um, in fact, almost every episode of Star Trek has a failure somewhere. It's either at the beginning or somewhere in the middle. I mean, that's what makes these shows interesting is the challenge that the characters have to overcome, right? If there's no challenge, everybody is just business as usual. But what it really taught me is that failure, even at a colossal scale, um, sometimes it's okay. I'm not saying I'm, I'm going to promote, you know, <laughs> failure at colossal skills, but at least at a personal level that it is okay. It is okay to make mistakes is it okay because there is no set right or wrong uh, as a person or even as a way of doing things because if you're a different person and you have a different take, just uh, for example, when um, 
I think uh, Taurus in, in Voyager, Taurus has always been sort of the, the one that's uh, at times against uh, the captain's orders. She's the, she's the outspoken one. Style um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and there were times where, you know, she tried her ways and it didn't work out and sometimes it did work out. Um, and it was very enlightening. So for me, like that's, that's the biggest takeaway is, is just watching these people struggle to overcome and there was always another problem to solve uh, and, and never to, to, to freeze and to be paralyzed at the face of ultimate destruction because there's always one more thing that they could try before it's all over, right? Yeah. Um, or in the case of Voyager, maybe it was a, a time loop that uh, some alien species had set upon, and they're like, "Ah, we'll just reset it." <laughs> there's always a way. There's always a way out, and 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 that is important because you have to think about it, you know. And most of the problems we have encountered in our lives, even the ones that we thought, "Oh, this is a, you know, this is this is such a a terrible mistake or a predicament that I'm putting myself into." this is it but then you realize after this is done it's like okay i'm still here you know and i'm still pretty much intact it's really not as bad as we think it is um and 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 we think i think we need more of that i think i think right now you know with social media with uh just the way that we consume information is always like a do or die type of deal you know it's always like this is the final straw and that's that's what that's what gets people's attention. If it's not do or die, you wouldn't click on that link. Yeah. Um, but but it's not right. When when you make a mistake, you have to ask yourself: Will this mistake? How will this mistake affect me five years from now? Or would it affect me five years from now? If it, if it doesn't, is it worth the amount of effort, emotional investment I'm putting myself through uh, right now? Yeah. And Star Trek, you know. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, that's, that's the most valuable. It just kind of taught me to, to be at peace with um, when things aren't going well, because there's always a way out. Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with you there. All the series, every, every problem may not necessarily be solved, although, you know, being a television series, you know, they eventually find a way to being solved you know plot armor. Uh, you know plot armor it's 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 it, it's how they built it right it's either it's every episode or in the case of voyager and the whole series they eventually get back home you know even though mm -hmm. it's supposed to take like 100 years um but uh at the end of the day it's they still go through the trials and tribulations individually or as a group to figure out uh what needs to be done and they don't just react and say oh it's game over right and i think to your point today's world you know everything is a reaction to what's out there and we could be we could all do better by just taking a step back and say what's the big picture what are what are we trying to go towards what are we trying to build towards uh you know as a group and, and we gotta see this is the one thing that i wish though that the world would take away more from star trek and i feel like sometimes and I don't know what you think about this, but but I think like lately it feels like with the invention of the internet, there's so many voices, so much feedback, which should be a good thing because people now have an equal voice, 
However, it's created this thing of tribalism where people are like, no, no, I don't want to do what you do. I'm just going to go and do my own thing based upon my desire ideologies. In the end of the day, we're all just one honking people, right? Like it's like the climate change stuff. You know, this pandemic is a good example of there's some things that don't give two bananas about who, who you are, what your ideals are. They're just going to run rampant over everything. So in the end of the day, we are, as a human race, let's just be, call it, it what it is, we're all in the same boat together. We're, you know, we're all going to live and die together, and we can either choose to evolve together or we can all just, you know, the, the opposite is <laughs> something not to be, uh, well, maybe we, we just got to accept, we got to realize that there's a mortality factor into play here and that we could all just cause ourselves a whole pro a lot of problems down the road, but I don't know. I, I wish people will understand sort of the critical thinking and objectivity that these TV shows try to teach the population. Yeah. It is very subtle. Like it is very subtle. Like yeah. people take it for granted. People, when you see Starfleet officers, even a, you know, you're looking at a yellow shirt um, <laughs> <laughs> or blue shirt, um, like, you don't realize that these, even if they're just an ensign, they are trained and they're qualified and they are there not because of, um, you know, they, they pretend to be who they are. They're there because they can objectively identify what's right or what's wrong and they have the training necessary. These days I feel like because everything is always a simple five-step tutorial way, um, people tend to simplify a lot of things and, and people tend to, and when you start to simplify things, then you, you don't really take knowledge and expertise that seriously. And all of a sudden you start to question the experts uh, based on- well, There's an easier answer. There is a way easier answer yeah. based on your confirmation bias. Right? Yeah. Um, and then what you end up with is the flat earthers, you end up with the climate change deniers, <laughs> and the anti-vaxxers, and the Trump supporters, and, you know, is, is, is the root of these questions is just one, is the lack of critical thinking, or the rather the, the unwillingness to critically think. And two is the rather fantastic willingness to just take the shortcut and to give in to your own confirmation bias. Uh, you, you form an answer in your head and you don't look for the real answer. You look for essentially supporting documents for your answer that is forming your head. And trust me, there are plenty of people out there on the internet that's willing to give it, but that's not going to get you anywhere further than where you are, right? Um, I wish more people would watch TV series like the Star Trek series. Um, what else is a good TV that's that's kind of uh, following the same methodologies? Um, I find I haven't. I'm just gonna be honest here. I haven't been able to find any, and maybe that's because I'm getting older and I just don't watch as much TV. <laughs> but um, I haven't found shows because that gear towards uh, a, a consistent problem-solving type um, uh, type episodic kind of design most are designed around a season that's telling a story that's entered that's on a cliffhanger kind of entertainment right, right? there is less right. 
and I'm not going to blame 24 for this because it worked. It was super successful, but I blame 24 for this because when 24 came around in the early 2000s, basically everybody was like, Oh, you could get people to, you know, immediately look for your next episode because you could give a cliffhanger. That's for the whole series. We're all doing that now. It's like every show turned into like this one long montage to this one star Wars type storyline that there has to be a, beginning and it has to be an end um and i'll an example i'll give you of what 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 did what converted to that if you ever watch suits um you know that that lawyer show suits mm -hmm. yeah the first three seasons were all these episodic type okay what's the problem what is who's suing who how am i supposed to resolve it is it a negotiation is it a legal battle or is it whatever right even though the lawyer stuff around it apparently is all mumbo jumbo and they just like there's no way that a legal lawyer would be doing real estate law as well as criminal and it's all like whatever right but it was it was cool in the sense they were trying to problem solve and get through people right but then they switched to, oh, no, it has to be this one villain in the beginning and we have to beat him at the end. And it's like, I was like, what is this? And I'm like, eh, I, I kind of. That's what sells the season, right? People, it sells us going back to your clickbait. This, yeah, that's your clickbait. You want to get bait. to the end. Yeah. You don't want to, you know, that's viewership, I suppose. Even when, even um, one of the best sci-fi shows that uh, I want, I'd love to talk about one day is, uh, but they're not, uh, they're not episodic is, unfortunately, it's a long storyline is um, The Expanse. I don't know if you ever. Uh, I heard of it. it. I haven't started watching it. Uh, I was still catching up on some of the older shows. Yeah. Finished it's... Umbrella Academy the other day, uh, the two seasons, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> um, Right now we're catching up on the blacklist, which is not a sci-fi show. It's more no, of a, no, it's thriller. Yeah, it's yeah, a it's thriller, thriller show, which is also fun. But I no haven't come across. I started watching the Orville. I I like the Orville. I'm, I'm like oh. three episodes in. And have you seen it? No, no. I I've only seen a couple, handful, just like off that. I know I've read the premise. That's why I know I'm familiar with uh, what it is. I'm. Take I a look go at it. That I mean, yeah. Seth MacFarlane. Like, sure, you know, he's comic uh comedy is is, is is forte but the orville is is how i would perceive in a way if i were to work at a starfleet like i do not see myself as an ensign at the voyager like these people are way too polite and way too proper <laughs> uh, it's almost robotic even even at voyager like even like they try to humanize it in a way but it yeah. still feels very robotic like there's no banter in the hallway there's no uh, there's a lack there's almost a little bit less socializing like the human yeah, yeah the human affliction which is you know too professional yeah in, 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 in all the shows that you mentioned earlier yeah, in this yeah. time but take a look at the orville like the orville is funny but at the same time it feels uh, very human like especially the interaction, the interspecies interaction, like the questions you should have probably asked <laughs> and not take them for granted. And, yeah. then they, and then when they get asked and then you get the answer, you get the reaction and like, oh yeah, that's, that's how I would totally do this, right? <laughs> like when you're under stress, you never, in Voyager, you never see somebody who's under stress, first time taking command, start chucking down two shots of tequila. But in the real life situation, you'd be like, Hell yeah, captain's really? down, first officer's down, the next in command is down, and here is me. I'm going to be taking over the ship. Yeah. 
um, what the hell am I supposed to do? I got to chuck down two tequilas first, right? <laughs> and and you go, yeah, that that's about right. That's probably more realistic. That's yeah. Right. Um, take a look at it. I mean, for for a teenager, that's probably not the best way to portray. I mean, it doesn't. That one sounds more adult oriented. It, it, it is. It, that's what Seth MacFarlane is about, right? Family guys. It's creating yeah. comedy and on the surface childish premises for adults. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the other one I would say then is uh, recently they dis they 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 brought out which was the uh, Starfleet uh, or Star Trek Lord X. It was the animated thing, uh, it, but it's more of like an adult animation, where it's um it's essentially they talk about the non-command crew staff. It's everybody else basically on the ship who has their own jobs and like how do they basically, you know do everyday life like what yeah. am, like if you're not on the bridge there's still thousand people on the ship right. what are they doing right That's all right. right so uh it's it's supposed to be geared around that and uh it was uh it was recently i think opened up at that san diego comic-con the virtual stuff they talked about it it was uh it's been it started in september so uh, yeah. i thought it'd be something interesting um, yeah. okay well i want to save some of your time i want to end it uh, this pod by getting your thoughts uh, about what is some of the best of the best that you remember from these shows, whether it could, even though you didn't watch Star Trek Next Generation, Deep Space Nine or Voyager, it's okay to start with Voyager. I'll try to convince you that some of these shows have some extremely good things about it uh, that would be worthwhile. But I call this segment of the podcast, the best of awards and off the top of your head, whatever you can think of, you tell me what you think, okay? It's about, it'll be about the sci-fi series. So I'm going to start off, award time. I want to start off with like the Nicholas Tesla award, I will call it, for the best sci-fi technology that you want to see today in Star, from those Star Trek series. Fabricators, hands down. <laughs> it was a toss-up between holographic decks oh and fabricators. <laughs> and then you start thinking about it, it's like, yeah, Holographic stacks is fun, but we we don't need that much stimulation. We already <laughs> we're stimulating enough, right? We need some peace and quiet. <laughs> Fabricator, on the other hand, see that thing is magical. Whatever you need, money goes in, stuff come out. Like that's what I need. That's 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 what I need. Hey, so you know what? Me. I I will say, you you got me there. You know the holodeck was. Uh, my number one, uh, personally, it's just to be able to get get that ex like see any experience that you can think of or imagine. And that brings the art of the possible to the forefront. Although, to be honest, yeah, it could it may be a little bit overstimulus, but heck, man, that would be so cool. You need one of these. That's oh. what you need, right? So, to to <laughs> your point, my next follow up to that is, who do you think will come first? Because it is a technology race. Because both of those are very possible because the replicator i don't know if you've seen some of those uh those uh, clips of the 3d printers leveraging basically basic proteins and building up food from 3d replicator using 3d replicators where yeah. the source material is just basic proteins now flavor wise i've heard yeah i've read sorry that right, exactly. doesn't taste like anything but yeah. like they're getting better at it little by little it's they're edible. The core thing is it's edible, right? So now you're like, well, you got the Oculus on one side. You're like, oh, dang, what's coming, right? It's uh, it's coming. And I would like, be, 
yeah, all of that. It, it's crazy. It's only been 20 years and that stuff is coming to reality. Yeah, it's here. That's right. It's, it's, it's That's here. Right. I mean, it's Oculus, they came up with a second one, um, better resolution and stuff like that. Um, what I'm really excited about is not so much the VR aspect of these, yeah. but the AR, augmented reality, of the ability to project screens in front of you and actually work. Because uh, right now, I, it has like a built-in computer screen and stuff like that, that you can work technically. But because this VR is in close, you don't get to see your surrounding. It gets really tiring yeah. after a bit. And I try to work on this, so yeah, definitely. I would say the holodeck, I mean, it depends, your definition of the holodeck, because by Star Trek standards, holodeck has some sort of uh, force projection, so, and you can touch them. Yeah. Uh, that's the whole thing. That's, that's far away. <laughs> but what you can see, you know, that's already here. Whereas with the replicators, I, I don't need much. Just, just make, make me stuff. Make me drinks, which is already here. Right? You can already make drinks. Um, like the soda stream stuff or the curics, yeah. right? Now it's just making me food. I mean, I'm 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 easy. I'm an Asian guy. Rice with anything else <laughs> is food, right? So that's we we're starting small, you know. Bring me something that can cook me rice and just spray some I don't know whatever protein stuff on it, and I'm good to go. Uh, yeah, you know what? It's uh, I still. I, I guess the appeal of the holodeck to me is, especially if you think about our current situation, just being able to experience some things in the world that you would never be able to experience. I don't know how easy it would be to experience. If I could find my way on the top of Mount Everest, like, yeah, it would be an awesome, epic opportunity to train for that, you know, do it. And be like, holy moly, yes, I'm at the top of Mount Everest or top of Mount Kilimanjaro or something like that. However, you have there is a, so much opportunity and cost in life. I'd be like, hey, I'm not gonna go tell my family. See you later. I'm gonna spend you know five figures and probably spend two hours a day training. I'm not gonna hang out with you, right? So like some people make that choice. That's fine. I just not me, right? Like if I could just go see it, just experience it, yeah, that's great. I'm like all for it, right? I understand the experiences in the, the journey sometimes, but some things I just want to damn see. I'm like, just see it. I'm like, okay, good stuff. You know, like the Galapagos Island, I think it was something like that, where you have those like crazy, like 50 foot waterfalls. I'm like, yeah, that's great. I don't want to spend five figures, go there and I'm gonna see it. Okay, that's great. My parents have seen it. Yeah, I saw the video. I was like, that's cool. If I could get a holographic image of it, yeah, that'd be a way, a look, and and be there, pretend okay, good enough for me. But yeah. I, I, I get your point. The food thing would be cool, you know, but you know, sometimes, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm a little bit lazy. See a little bit, a little bit of reality. Hey, we are on a podcast here instead of being face to face. It would be better. I'm surprised neither of us mentioned the teleporters. I am like Lieutenant Barkley, if you remember him. Yes, he's the he's the teleporter guy. The teleporter guy, but like, uh, yeah, and he was the hologram guy too, actually. He was the holodeck. He loved making holodeck stuff. He was actually part of the doctor program, I don't remember. But um, he was. So. Was he the guy that played um, Sal Goodman? No, maybe he just was Sal Goodman. No, no, he kind of looks like him. He has that kind yeah, of yeah. like half hair yeah. thing. Yeah, no, no, you yes. got that. Um, but uh, that, 
with the way he describes getting your molecules broken down and getting shifted over. There's a bit of a mortality problem with that. Yeah, that, that was just the, just yeah, that's the, right. Like, it, like when you come out on the other end, are you really you? Are you really you? It's or like, are you just a you who remember everything up to the point that you got broken down? Right? Yeah, like so what if you like are your is your memory missing because you might have forgot to put one piece of data here? Like right. in today's world, this data stream itself, there's no guarantee that it's actually 100% the same from me to you and you to me. So. Well, yeah. that leads to a greater existential problem. Because yeah. Are you really you right now as time progresses? How do you know you didn't die the last second? It's just another <laughs> version of you carrying on with all the memories. So you know there, there's a, and that's why I also don't bring up cloning, for example, even though they had cloning on Star Trek as oh, well. Yeah. Like, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't need to play around <laughs> with like, like, are you you or are you I or am I you? That's okay. Oh, that's all messed up. Yeah. Okay. All right. The next next award. Let's get the, the, this one. And I, I'm, I'm going to have to convince you otherwise. But out of the three series, we're going to go with the USS Award for which one is the best starship. We got the Starship Enterprise. And we'll go stick with the TV series, NCC-1701D for Star Trek, this, the Starship Enterprise. We have on Deep Space Nine, if you've ever seen it, the USS Defiant. Or we got the USS Voyager. Which, which one is your favorite ship? Or which one do you think is the best ship? I think. <laughs> I mean, that's difficult because on the surface, they all, uh, they all start free ships. Um, and they're all pretty good ships. They're like heavy, uh, heavy cruisers. Um, I mean, I watch Voyager the most. See, what I like about Voyager, and I don't know if it's the same thing with the other shows, is that Voyager always comes in, at least for most of the episode, as a, a more advanced ship in comparison to the races that it encounters. Yeah. Like Voyager is always shown as that we are the star free, that we are the powerful, and we're here to help, right? Um, so I think Voyager, you know, is, is cozy. But if you allow me to expand that, because that list is, is fairly limited for me, I can't really speak on the other two. But if you allow me to expand that ship and to go beyond Starfleet, um, I would say if I were to you know, find another ship, um, I would go with the Borg Spear. <laughs> I can Believe it or not. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I think, okay, so all the evil robotic, you know, communism stuff aside uh, of, of the Borg, I think the Borg sphere is nice. You have your infinite, you know, you have your holodecks because every time you go into a sleep cycle, you essentially, you're dreaming, <laughs> you're going to a holodeck, you can do whatever the heck you want. Never have to worry about food. Don't really have to worry about energy. You can go wherever the heck you want. You're really not going to be shot down by anyone, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I would say if I were to pick a ship to travel or go on vacation, I'll probably go on the Borg Sphere. It's got everything I need. Okay. No fuzz. You, you, All the benefits. I hate to say it, you, you've, uh, you've convinced me. I was totally just thinking of the three ships. And uh, honestly, there's so many ships, but out of all of them, Heck, even with the Dominion ships or eight, Species 8472 or 
any of that ship i thought about that ship too that was that it's, it's yucky in there yeah it's just like some goop or whatever you're it is, in like the middle that. of a whale yeah it's a liquid or something like that right it's like liquid space they found or something but yeah. the borg ship okay uh, uh that that one went takes the cake because honestly it's the most efficiently designed run uh, and ex executed ship and they have access to transwarp so done and done and see i didn't go with the cube because the cube are expandable a cube is what they can send to the front lines but a sphere being a command ship that's something that you can fly around <laughs> the back line. you're not being afraid to be sent out so all right all right sounds good all right we're going to go with the next up the gene roddenberry award for the crew award the the crew call the crew roll call and we're going to hit them fast so you give me your best and we'll talk about them briefly so we get the same time. Okay, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Who's your, the, who's the best ensign? The guy in the transporter room. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I don't know their name. I, I, I don't know their name, but whoever's in the transporter room in whatever Star Trek universe that you're from, that's the best ensign. Imagine how many people that could have accidentally died because that's he didn't true. do his job. That's true. But They're on the more important than the engine. The engineers is more important than the security. Like he and there's so many clutch moments where it just wouldn't happen because, you know, yeah, the guy in the transporter room hands down. <laughs> that's you know what that, that that's a that's a good one. Uh because in fact, Deep Space Nine, Miles O'Brien, their chief engineer was actually formerly the the transporter chief. And he's he's the one, yeah, he's the last minute. It's like, Chief, you got him? Oh, okay, good. You got him. All right, all right, all right. good. You got him. Okay, okay. All right, all right. Next up, best doctor. Uh, well, doctor. <laughs> I don't know what. He's got a name. No, no. He's just called the doctor. He's, actually, he's the doctor. He's yeah, just he's the just doctor. doctor. He's the doctor. Yeah. No, no, EMT Mark One, because there was a Mark Two. <laughs> but the yeah, doctor. it was just a doctor. doctor. I will say, okay, Star Trek Next Generation, eh, like. Beverly Crusher, she was the mom factor. But if you ever get it interesting, the one on Deep Space Nine, uh, you know, uh, Doctor Bashir, kind of interesting guy. It was uh, they they had a crazy character arc for him. He turned mm -hmm. into uh, he was actually uh, uh, um, genetically altered as a kid. So halfway through the series, he 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 basically said, "I've been faking being uh, an idiot doctor. I actually have enhanced." hand-eye coordination and uh, technical uh, and eidetic memory and all this other stuff. And he's like, so they basically flipped his uh, character around and, uh, and, and all that. It was kind of interesting. He was, was a pretty crazy character. All right, security officer. I guess you really only have Tuvok if you really only watch Voyager. I mean, I have Tuvok, but I was also comparing it to the new movies. I'm trying to remember. Um, I don't. I don't really like Tuvok. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that's the only option I have, but I don't really like Tuvok. I, I think he really sucks at his job. <laughs> I feel like the whole Voyager thing. I, I I feel like Chakotay will be a much better security officer, and then Tuvok will be a much better first uh, XO. Yeah. Because, like, Chicote is too, I feel like he's too emotional, whereas the XO needs to be more calm and level-headed and is able he's, to see He's still a commander. Yeah, he's still more of a commander, right? Like, 
Yeah, I don't. I guess if Tuvok's my only choice, you know, Tuvok it is. But I, no, I don't. I don't like him. <laughs> I, I think Tuvok. If if there were one character I don't really quite like, is is uh, is Tuvok. He's yeah. I don't know. I mean, I get it. He's you know he's Vulcan and he's got his own thing going on and yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I I can't go with Tuvok. It's just not going to happen. And. I would go with Worf from Star Trek Next Generation. And I watched a couple of YouTube. I feel like yeah. Worf is, is, is a better suited for security. Like it's got the tactical thinking yeah. and it's also got the risk taking uh, mentality. Yeah, Tuvok, I don't know. Tuvok is too Vulcan for me. Too Vulcan for his own good. Yeah. He's, yeah, no, you, you need a little oomph like for security. A little emotion. Right. Otherwise, right. it's just like... I can't believe you're gonna. And also, Tuvok is too skinny. Like I feel like if you're gonna be a security <laughs> chief hey, that... of security. You know, you want to look the part, right? Tuvok hey. is a little too scrawny for that. Hey, but Vulcan super strength, right? Spock kicked the uh, sure, kicked the super strength, you know, con, space elves, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next up, uh, best. Well, okay, I'll combine these two since they're basically the same. Either best engineer or science officer. They're similar. So your options really, I guess from your perspective, it's either Torres, Kim, Ensign Kim, Blana Torres, Ensign Kim. On Star Trek Next Generation, it was Jordi LaForge or Commander Data for Science. For Deep Space Nine, it was Lieutenant Dax and, well, Chief Engineer, it was uh, Miles O'Brien. Can I include the latest Star Trek movies? Yeah, go ahead. So, so you get Scotty, Scotty even Scotty. Scotty or Spock. Scotty, Scotty, <laughs> gotta be Scotty. I mean, I mean, that's how I okay, imagine right. an engineer will be. Yeah, you know, an engineer is not somebody. At least in my mind, an engineer at a starship. Um, I mean, they have to be creative, and they cannot be calm and by the book. And I think both Tors and Ensign Kim, they're too by the book. Like you're out there in Delta Quadrant and trying to do things by the book, that's not going to get you nowhere. You got to be a little, you know, you have to be a little hacky. I'm a yeah. or your thing around. I mean, Scotty, is, Scotty is the engineer that I would take. He's a little unstable. He's a little, <laughs> you know, but, you know, this, he, he will be the one that come up with a solution that nobody has thought of. Yeah, I can't, I can't argue with that because they actually had Scotty, the original, on Star Trek Next Generation, working with, you know, LaForge, and he had to come up. He actually, they found him, by the way, the same age as what he, when he left the movies, because guess what? He basically put a loop on a transporter because his, his starship crashed on a Dyson sphere, just this planet, and yeah. they had no way offs and they had no food. So they're like, okay, how am I going to survive? How are we going to survive? Oh, screw this. They basically cycled the engineer, uh, the transporter beam amongst itself and put their body in a transporter buffer for 50 years until somebody found them. And fortunately, the Enterprise found them and they, they were able to, uh, uh, as w uh, they were able to save, uh, save him. But they also then had a, a little cool, how do I get out of the Dyson Fear scenario? So yeah, okay, Scotty's, yeah, okay. I'm going to bow to that one. Scotty's got to win that one. Mm -hmm. All right. All right, two more. Best EXO commanding officer, second in command, number one. I think uh, Chakotay already fell off your bandwagon. 
<laughs> to go, yeah, like like I said, if Tuvok were a second in command, I would be a lot more happier. Yeah. Not just from like if I were a Starfleet admiral and I would talk to Janeway and I'd be like, you you need someone to hold the fort while you're going on to your risky adventures and Chakotay is not that someone. Um, see, that's what, like in, actually in the new movies, that's a, you know, Spock is, is a great um, second in command. Yeah. Uh, because it, it contrasts well with the, because as a captain, you need to be, uh, a bit more risk taking. Yeah, right? that's 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 who you know, that's what your job your job demands it. But whereas your second in command needs to be in opposition. I feel like Janeway and Chakotay are of the same personality. Yeah, which is why when they get into an argument is is a little strange because neither of them are risk averse. They're both very risky. <laughs> risky. Yeah, very yeah. risky characters. You, you don't get that balance of okay, wait a yeah, minute. Yeah, that's that's I don't no know balance. So if I yeah. if I can pick Spock, I would definitely go with Spock. Well, so for Next Generation, they did the opposite, where the captain was the logical and strong character, whereas the second command was this young, like he was the Kirk to like, whereas Captain Picard was the, you know, the Spock kind of, no, I got control of this. Just mm -hmm. trust me, I, I, I can handle this. Whereas Commander Riker was the one, you know, you got, you should jump in, do this, do this, right? And I thought, to your point, you have to have that balance. Otherwise... That's how right. are you gonna? How are you gonna? You your second command needs to be somebody you need to bounce ideas off of. That's they either right. oppose you or they'll be like, okay, I see where you're coming from, but you there's another angle that you could take. That's right. right. So and, you uh, cannot have your best buddy with the same personality to be in the second command. Like it just needs yeah. to be the opposite. Like um, you're a Battlestar Galactica fan. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so that's sort of the opposite, right? We have Ty, who's more risk-taking, yeah. and now we have Adama, who's more level-taking. Yeah, it's like, no, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's still, well, I mean, not to spoil anything, but, but I think that duel works well. Like, one is a little crazy in the head, and the other one's not so much. You, you, need, you need a crazy one, you yeah. know? Um, Which, but that's an extensionist question itself. Was he really crazy or did, was that? Boy, the, just, the, you know, you know, you know, you know. <laughs> spoiler. We can, you should watch that show. If you're checking this Come on, out, you gotta check what, it out. How old is that show now? Hey, 10 years, it's, years. They just put it on Amazon prime full, full availability. There's kids go out there. Gotta, gotta go watch it. Gotta go watch it. Gotta go watch it. Okay. Last one. This one, I mean, might even surprise myself, but it will be interesting to see what you have to say. Mm. Who is your best captain? You could go, even if they were only on one episode, even if it was that. Is Janeway the only female or the major female captain of all these TV shows? Mm, I, would, I would say yes, except... Disco I like Discovery. Yeah, Discovery. Discovery. Yeah, Georgia Philippa O. Um, technically, she was the captain, but she technically her her Kanan character died, right? Then the the alternate universe one came in, and then technically Commander Burnham became captain, but then she got court-martialed and all this other <laughs> stuff, right? So yeah, it's technically Captain Janeway is the only female consistent. I, I I like her because because she seems human to me, right? Because when you think about a captain in your mind, you're thinking about someone who's you know, steel-willed and 
strong and have everything under control. Mm. Um, but Janeway has a, a subtle sense of vulnerability to her role. Mm. You have, you know, there were moments in that episode where she doesn't know what needs to go on and she needs to rely on Chakotay and she needs to rely on Tuvok to, to give her uh, uh, some guidance. And, and I like that. I feel like it is not, yes, in your role, you need to exhibit, you know, what you're doing and have a sense of direction and a vision and optimism. But you, that doesn't define you and your command. And, and it's okay to, to kind of fall back from time to time and to listen to the people that you, you trust. And then, and I don't know, I, I, I like that. I, I feel like she has that flexibility. She can be very strong-armed in people into doing things, but she also has this uh, nice, vulnerable, we call it feminine, if you will, but a very nice uh, other side to her um, that I enjoyed, that, uh, that made her feel grounded. She's mm -hmm. not just some super genius that I know what I'm going to do and I have the courage to do it. She, she is someone who is struggling, someone who doesn't know if she's going to succeed or not, but she has to take the risk. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, you bring up a good point about uh, Captain Janeway. And I think the, I think if you get a chance, I think they've, they, they, the script writers did a good job of building some of that complexity in all their captains uh, to an extent, right? Yeah, I yeah. think, I think with Janeway, they definitely did the full gamut. But it's also situational, given the fact that they're stuck in the middle of nowhere, and uh, she's had she had to expand her horizons a little bit to say at least because they, they have no backup. Um, I think with Star Trek: Next Generation, Captain Picard is an exceptional captain. I I just I always thought he's one of the best. Um, he's one of my favorites just because he wasn't also an atypical actor who played him. Right? It wasn't just the young, you know whatever looking character who was going to play him, right? Like the William Shatner's type style back in the day, right? <laughs> it was just like, you know, who's this bald dude, man? It's like this bald 60-year-old, right? It's, no, it was like he was very, like, you know, intelligent, in control. Um, but there was episodes in Star Trek Next Generation where they made him extremely vulnerable. I Like there was, like after, for example, they rescued him from the Borg, he was like, was they show, Borg at one yeah, like he, he was, he yeah. got converted to a Borg, right? Similar yeah. to seven of nine and they yeah. were able to rescue him, but they actually spent a couple of episodes after exploring the impact that had on him and how it like emotionally, like he was basically broken down because of that, because he was no, like he had no control and he basically killed, you know, 10,000 of his fellow Starfleet officers. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't think they explored it enough as an adult looking back on it. They didn't do enough to go, go deeper into his character because he had so much, so many layers that he could have uh, did, uh, uh, grown with um, or explored. But there was, it, it was a big, it, that wasn't the way it was designed. Uh, my favorite captain, actually, if you get a chance to see, is Captain Sisko on yes, Deep Space Nine. Right. Yeah. And I, I just like his story arc. Um, Fresh-faced, you know, uh, commander uh, putting off to this far-off station. He just wanted to get away after losing his wife, trying to raise his son. 
um, trying to balance like the whole concept of Starfleet in a new way because he basically had surrounded by this alien culture all the time that he suddenly became the prophet of, which was like kind of crazy. And then they kind of threw him into this war arc where he also was basically put into a position to question, like he had to do stuff that was not necessarily the the Federation way, but he had to accept it because there was a greater good. Like there was this one episode where he basically, he, he basically did this special operations where he lied to the Romulans to get them into the war with the Dominion. But he had to accept, it's like the devil you know, to make it happen, even though it goes against everything he believed in because there was a greater good and you could see that struggle and that's where the that actor was like incredible like he was just like all over the board um to help try to like bring this to your point this conflict um to life and he didn't have all the answers he was never the smartest he was just he just created this beacon of belief that hey i can make it like we could do this so i i just i thought he was like like an exceptional exceptional mm-hmm. character yeah yeah. Um, okay. Two more. And then, you know, thank you very much for your time. I know I'm really uh, taking you along, but I can't, you know, sometimes when you get start talking about Star Trek, it's like, you can really get in there. Um, all right. I, the last two awards are kind of related, um, but they're in, in a way they're different. So the first, the, 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 the second last award I like to say is what's the, the story time award for best, story of all the Star Trek series. So the reason, before you answer, I'll explain why it's different than the last award, which is what's the best show out of all the, of all the Star Trek series. Now, the best story is, we all know that each series has their own story, right? Star Trek Next Generation is a story about a crew that is essentially just going through the everyday life of this journey of trying to search out new life. They don't go really beyond that. They don't do any multi-part episodes. There is no long story here, right? Deep Space Nine is a little different. They do do the day-to-day, but really the story's about the, the, the space station's relationship with the Gamma Quadrant and the, the planet Bajor and how they can get along as the center of the universe. And then obviously with Voyager, the, the story is gotta get home. Gotta get home. <laughs> gotta get home, right? Um, so I don't know what, what, what do you, what, what story do you like? What, 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 what is an interesting story to you? I don't style I mean, all, I guess. all three. I mean, all three, they have their own take. It's, it's a different lens, right? They just take a different lens and put it into a, a different setting. I, it's difficult to compare because it's not an apple to apple. Comparison. Yeah. Um, so this one is tough, right? I, 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 would, I wouldn't know. Like I would say whatever story that is, is true to their core messages, uh, which is to promote hope, to promote inclusivity, to promote uh, you know, a more of a, a critical thinking, problem solving, persistence. I think that, that story wins. And I think all three of them would have achieved that. So yeah, I don't know. There's no clear winner. I, I will watch all three of them and I would like all three of them. Depends on the mood of that time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when you watch Star Trek, right, it is this the overarching story, like especially with them going, you know, seven, eight, nine seasons long, 
the overarching story sometimes just they don't they're not as important as let's say you know breaking bad you know whereas the yeah. entire thing is is story driven and you want to see you know, how what happened so yeah i don't know the, the story is very light like the the long story is very light but if yeah. you ask me my favorite episodes i can tell you what else are <laughs> okay give me one of your favorite episodes let's just go with that what from from voyager what's your what would you say um i'm a sucker for like time travel episodes <laughs> um, on these type of shows because because they they tend to they not just explore you know how we're just talking about you know the butterfly effect of time travel and how it changes the past you change the future and that's very cliche type of thing um there was one episode where voyager was approaching a planet that was speeding up way too fast that was mm. spinning way too fast i don't know if you, you recall that where when the crew descended down there that they have to get them back otherwise they're going to be a thousand of years yeah. passed down in the surface and how voyager itself uh was seeing as sort of a north star because it's the brightest object in the sky and everybody was trying to, you know, trying to, you know, get that. I thought that was a fascinating episode. I thought that was, it is time travel, but it is also an episode about symbols, about what people believe in, the stories that they make of it, that change and drives the whole civilization. Um, and how they eventually realize that their gods aren't really gods and they're just... Yeah another people from another planet i don't know it, there was something about it so intricate and it was they were able to pack all of those ideas into a you know a 45 minute episode yeah. i love it actually you know what i was gonna say in another episode but uh i'll 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 bring it up in a second but there's a similar episode on next generation to that not so much the time thing but the impact of what your beliefs uh, could be um, on another culture, another generation. There was this one episode where Commander Data basically gets, uh, he gets cracked, marooned on this planet. And he's trying to basically pick up this radioactive waste that from a satellite that crashed on this planet that was not really, they hadn't evolved to the point of space, right? Like they're not even close, but they basically run up on this guy, Data, the, the, the local population. They're like, whoa, who's this guy? He basically, they think he's an ice creature because he has no pulse, no nothing. He's cold and everything, right? He's like, oh, you must be one of those famed ice creatures. But they take him in, make him part of this cult, their culture, right? And he can't remember anything because he got, he got, uh, he got blown up a little bit, so he can't he can't really remember what's going what he is. But it's crazy because they basically take him in, make he's part of their culture, and they also take in the radioactive waste that he had, and it starts making the whole place like sick, right? And they're like, "Oh, what the hell is happening?" And they kind of start blaming him because he's the only thing that showed up. But he uses he realizes that he doesn't know why, but he realizes that he is not he like he is scientifically something's not right here and he figures out it's the metal is radiation and he cures them but they still basically get mad at him and like they they stab him and he they bury him because they just hit his power cell like how it relates to your thing is that it's just nothing is always what it seems from a relative perspective like from one person's position 
versus another person's position, you see it differently because from the indigenous population perspective, similar to yours on the indigenous planet, you know, Voyager was this star in the sky that defined generations of like, oh, this is, is this a God or is this whatever? And until eventually they're like, what the hell? It's just a spaceship, right? right. Uh, versus, and then in the case of data, they're like, from the, the indigenous population perspective, they just see this as like oddity as the cause of all their problems because he just came out of nowhere and it's just their perspective versus the other end of it. They look at it as completely different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it was just, it's interesting. They always show different sides of a story. And I thought, I thought that was yeah. uh, one of my most interesting episodes. Um, I was going to say the best of both worlds where Jean-Luc Picard gets turned into a Borg and he, they just go on a rampage. Part of it, then I realized that that's pure action. And the reason, that was the rare, like, 100% action. It's like, they actually lost. You know, they actually look vulnerable. And I'm like, uh, but when you brought up the time thing, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's pretty interesting. Okay. We're nearing the end. We're a little bit over. But I want to end off with, give me your two-minute spiel about why Voyager has, is your favorite show. Since I know it's a, it's the show that you like. Um, well, it is a show I feel that has this overarching um, point of conveying optimism and hope, even though that every episode has problems, and there were quite a few. Uh, well apocalyptic episodes in, in, in throughout the seasons. But the fact that the whole crew, eventually they persisted, they never gave up, and there was always hope, um, and eventually paid off in a big way at the end. So that made it worth uh, watching. That made it worth uh, looking forward to. When I was young, I was simply watching it because I like spaceships and I like, you know, people, uh, solving problems but when you start to get a little older you watch it because it's um it's something soothing i know my worldview might be a little pessimistic sometimes but i mean come on like with the, with, with the media telling you whatever is going on it's this is a lot more challenging to be optimistic than it is to be pessimistic but i feel like voyager gave you something that's something to look forward to and, and and i like that and also i think it's hands down got the best cg of all three <laughs> yeah right i mean yeah. hey, it's the latest one right it had all it the, is the latest of the line. one yeah it is the latest one and i and i like it and i think the custom um like the uniform design i like the uniform design of all three i've seen uniform of all three like the next generation i don't understand why they have to have a, such a huge color on their on their uniforms like yeah. sometimes you see like you see the neck bones almost sometimes yeah. like that that doesn't look very comfortable for me i feel like i feel like your uniform should be like a suit jacket right you gotta have an undershirt and they have something else on it like it's just it's more functional <laughs> um, I'm not gonna lie. Every time I saw the Voyagers' nacelles like bend upwards, it kind of it, it gave me the chills. I, I, I actually I like that. One. <laughs> I also like their uh, the 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 their beginning score of their the Voyager show. Yeah, it's I really, epic. I, I really like that one. That that one is really good. That it's, it's it's very epic, and, and there's nothing 
like and, and at the beginning score like there it it doesn't show a, a face hmm. i think it's all about the ship i think it's all about just where the ship travels yeah yeah i yeah it's it's, it's a nice show and i'm sure the other ones are great but uh <laughs> Voyager's got the best CG. Close to your heart. Close to your heart. Best CG, best uniforms. Um, I wouldn't say the best looking ship. I mean, it's it's not bad, but yeah. <laughs> it was it, it was a good show. It, it was a good show. They're all good shows, you know. Honestly, Star Trek, life changing. Yeah. How's the new Picard show? I. Actually, need to go watch that one. I hit yeah. this is where the lack of television has hurt me, but I gotta watch yeah. that one because that's I was about to say, but I actually I had no evidence to back it up. But that is a that is the continuating story of seven and nine, and uh, and it's uh, from the trailers that I saw, it looked like she changed quite drastically. So, mm. um, so I gotta watch that one. I, I definitely gotta For watch sure, it. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, okay. Well. I've held you long enough, James. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time. It's been an exceptional conversation. Uh, you know, it's you, you. You definitely helped me see some things in Voyager that I never saw. I hope I've enticed you a little bit to see maybe check out Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. There's uh, there are two of my favorites as well, uh, but all of them, all the Star Trek, uh, I love, and uh, my my kid will be definitely streaming that on regular once uh, once they're ready to absorb that and and maybe i won't hear uh, maybe we won't hear stuff like saying that stuff's not possible or that stuff looks cheesy because you know it's not quite there yet but some of the stuff is already here so we might already be already here. too late by the time they're old enough right so but thank you again i uh it's a pleasure having you as a guest of the continental yeah uh, pleasure's all mine for those of you watching, if you like what you see, please subscribe, like, comment, comment to James, comment to myself. If you don't agree with anything we talked about in Star Trek, we got anything wrong, please let us know. We'd love to give you some feedback more. James, I really hope to have you back again. There's a lot of sci-fi left to talk about in this universe, and we've just scratched the surface on the Continental Podcast. So, Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. So as always, it's a pleasure to serve you on the Continental. We hope to see you again. Thank you very much.